0: Well, we are in a series called Twisted Scriptures, and uh, the series is trying to take scriptures that are are very familiar to us, and because they're so familiar to us, they tend to get twisted. They get popularized and then distorted in their meanings, and what we're going to do is each week we're going to untwist one of those, or at least we're going to try to. So I want to invite you to get your Bibles out. If you have a Bible that's from the pew, you can open it up to page 944. If you have your own Bible, then open it up, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking uh, mainly at three verses today. And the first verse that we're going to look at, the one that's really the keynote verse, is Romans 8, 28. That's the popular one. And it says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose... So this verse is often given to someone who's going through great difficulty and suffering. It's a promise, people use it as a promise that everything is going to turn out for our happiness in this life. So if you lost, lost your job, well, Romans 8:28. You have cancer, Romans 8:28. Your dog has just had kittens, Romans 8:28. So it's like the go-to verse for strange occurrences, difficult situations, painful experiences. But what did Paul really mean when he penned this? Now let me help you get ready for this by giving you a metaphor that can kind of guide us. I recently went golfing and later afterwards I was reflecting on how awful my golf game is. I'm a terrible golfer. But I thought while I was reflecting on how important the pin is or the flag is. Without that flag, you wouldn't know in which direction to tee off. When you get closer to the green, you really wouldn't know the location of the hole because you can't always see the hole on the green when you're off the green. In fact, the entire game of golf is oriented toward the flag. Now, I want you to grab onto that mental picture for a moment. From the moment that you're teeing off, chipping onto the green, trying to sink it into the hole, every single part of that game is heading towards that flag. That's your goal, that's your orientation. And I want to tell you that Paul holds up a theological flag, he holds up a theological pin and we get to see where Romans 8:28 is aiming. So this is how you study the word of God. Now listen, I'm part of this series goal goals. One of them at least is to help you not only untwist the scripture along the way, but another one is that when you get into the word of God, how do you study? How do you prepare your mind as a student of God's word? So one of the things that I want to teach you, one of the things i want to get you used to is find where the trajectory is going. Where is the verse aiming? That's simply context. And Paul's going to hold this flag up. Remember the golfing metaphor. He's going to hold this flag up. This is where Romans 8, 28 is aiming. And I want to invite you to take a look at it. We're going to look at the flag. So look at verse 31 for a moment. You've got to be in your Bibles. You're going to be lost. Get in your Bibles. Let's look at verse 31. I'm going to show you when you're looking at Romans 28 in your devotional life, you've got to look beyond Romans 28. You've got to find where it is leading you. You've got to find the flag that Paul is taking you to. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Well, look at that word, these things. It goes back to Romans 8.28. Do you remember what Romans 8.28 says? God works... For those who love God, all things work together. So now in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things, these difficulties, these painful experiences? If God is for us, well, here's Paul's rhetorical question's answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now there's where he's aiming. Go a little bit further. That means there's no power greater than God. We're secure in his love for us. But look at verse 32. But he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So now Paul is saying that God has proven his love to us. He's proven it in the greatest possible way. He gave his son for us. He put his son to death so that we can live. So then he goes to verse 33. Now remember, now we're like three shots in now. Keep the golfing metaphor. We're on our third shot verse 33 who shall bring any charge against god's elect it is god who justifies meaning that there's no power satanic human even yourself that can threaten the security of your salvation see this entire passage is about how secure the christian is in his or her salvation not because we muster the power to stay in our faith it's because god has the power to keep us in our faith so look what he says who is to condemn especially since christ is interceding for us verse 35 34 and then look at verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of christ and now you're about to put the hole in the cup when you get to verse 38. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You just sunk the putt. All right, now look at me for a moment, if you would, please. This is how you study the Bible. You cannot just show up and pull up Romans eight twenty eight and go, you know what? I'm going to claim that in my life for this experience. That's the verse that I'm going to give to somebody in the hospital. Because if you do not understand that what verse 28 is doing is leading you towards the end of the chapter when you can see the great love of God and that nothing can separate you from that love, then you're going to twist romans 28 28 out of its original intention this passage is to teach god's people you are secure in the love of christ and there is nothing that could take you out of it and when you go through difficulties when you go through trials which we are all going to go through which a lot of us are in right now even when you're in good times as well as bad times All of them are aiming you to the love of Christ, to prove to you how great God's love is for you. Christian, we are absolutely secure in our salvation. Why? Because the power of God's love is sovereign. And the verse that we are untwisting is to help you endure. This is a promise, by the way, only for Christians. It's to help your faith endure endure so that you can trust God in all things that he's working to bring out and bring about your glorification this is a great promise one for the ages literally as we're about to see so let's get into I'm gonna show you four parts to this promise I'm gonna invite you to take notes listen if you don't want to take notes in your bulletin I don't blame you there's a lot of people that don't like to do that Can I encourage you to start taking notes in your Bible? You're going to need to know what I'm going to teach you today. And let's start with the first one. This is a promise that we can be certain about. Now look at the very first part. Look at verse 28 with me. And we know. Now listen, you're a student of God's Word. You open it up tomorrow morning. You happen to begin in verse 28, maybe the daily bread got you there, maybe, maybe my utmost for his highest, maybe morning and evening devotions by Spurgeon, I'm not sure what you use, but something got you to verse 28 and your first word is and. You've got to stop, student of God's word, and you've got to go back and find out what he's connecting. And is a connecting word. It's a bridge. When you get to the word and, think bridge. He's tying together a couple different th- thoughts. And we know. You know what that really means? In the tense, it means, and we can know. Now that's really, really important. There's a confidence that the Christian can have. Now listen, yet tragically, a lot of Christians don't know. A lot of Christians don't have this confidence. A lot of Christians aren't trusting God and his love for us. This is a potential knowledge. You can know it, but you've got to grow in your certainty of this truth. Now watch, listen to this. Paul says, and we can know, and then he's going to tell you how you can know. He's going to anchor your faith over the next four to five verses, even ten verses. He's going to show you conclusively with evidence why it's true that God loves you in Christ unbreakably. Nothing can separate you from it. So when you take the word of God, and if you want to get it down in your heart, you got to get it past your mind. you got to begin to believe it. you got to test your weight on it. you got to bring your doubts to God. You say, God, I don't know if I know. I don't think I know. Help me with my unbelief. And explode the truth in my heart. Paul is convinced. He is certain. What he is about to write is solid. It is truth for our faith, but I want you to look at what he just wrote. Remember I told you the word and connects a couple different thoughts, right? Look at verse 26. Let's all look at that. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Paul just wrote that. We do not know. See, when you and I are struggling... difficult times listen are not you like me nothing seems to make sense God I don't get why I'm still struggling in this I don't understand why you're bringing this to me I don't understand how I could be a Christian for this many years and still trip over this problem I don't get it why am I having to go through this what are you trying to show me but then you get to verse 28 And we can know with absolute certainty that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So we don't know how we ought to pray. This is why the Spirit of God prays and intercedes for us. We don't know in the particular, God, how do I pray for this person? How do I pray for me? Haven't you ever prayed for somebody who's going through a hard time? And part of you, this is like this war erupts in you. You want to pray because you love them, that they're Trial will end, but then there's another part of you that understands it's the trial, it's suffering, that is making them more like Christ, losing their confidence in their own flesh. So you don't really know how to pray. God, I want to pray that the trial ends, but I also know you brought it, you've allowed it, you'll bring them out when you want them out, when it's done its perfect work. So how do I pray? Well, we don't know how to pray. But verse 28 says, we can know with absolute certainty that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Christian, the Word of God is building within you a faith that is grounded not on speculation, not on uncertainty, but persuaded confidence. It's a faith in God's love for you that will endure tribulation or distress or persecution verse 35 or famine or nakedness or danger or sword you can go through these things and have an absolute certainty in your faith you can know that God's going to work this out for good and what is that good well we're going about we're about to find out and Christian you can know that you're absolutely secure in the love of Christ, your salvation is secure and that knowledge can preserve you in a time when your world seems to fall apart. So I want you to think for a moment with me. Let's just be utterly real. Are you going through a difficult trial right now? If you never go through difficulty, that may be an indication you're not in Christ. That you're not a believer. Because Jesus promises us the world hated me, the world will hate you. Difficulty and trials and tribulation will come your way. The Bible promises it, they have a purpose. In Judges, in the book of Judges, God kept bringing nations against his his people Israel. And it says in Judges, he did that so that his people would learn to fight. Well, you've got to spiritually allegorize that. And when you get enemies coming at you, when you get difficulties coming at you, when the world seems to turn against you, when trials just come against you, The Bible, God is telling you, he's teaching you to fight. He's teaching you to get on your knees and pray and lean on him and put the armor of God on, Ephesians 6. That's the purpose of battling. He doesn't want lackadaisical Christians. He wants Christians that can battle and contend for the faith. So are you going through hard times? Do you remember what we taught you in the Nehemiah series? and in subsequent series that storms are coming, you're either in a storm of life, a trial, tribulation, or you've recently come, come out of one and you're going to be heading back into one. There are very few lulls in the Christian life because our faith tends to grow weak in them. So we've got a promise, and we're going to go on to this. We've got a promise that we can be certain about. But look at number two. This is a promise exclusively for the Christian. Now listen, you've got something right now that God has given to you, Christian. For those of you who have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you know you cannot save yourself. You know that you were born in sin. You know that it didn't take you long to master it. And that sin separated you from God. And all the good things that you've tried to do is like taking a a mud-splattered hand and trying to clean off a windshield. All you do is make it worse. It just smears everywhere. You cannot clean your own soul. The very best of what we do falls short of the righteousness, perfect standard of Christ. So we're in a predicament. We're born in sin. We mastered it. Did it take you long to do it? Didn't take me long to do it. We sin every day. Mouth, thought, deed, attitude, motive, all kinds of ways to sin. We are proficient at it. We need help. And God knows we need help. He knew we couldn't save ourselves. He did what we could not do. He sent his son, Jesus, to live perfectly in our place to die on that cross as a spotless lamb of god and when he died he made forgiveness available and the moment brother and sister the moment friend you put your faith in him you can't save yourself but god knows it so he can save you through christ and you appeal to jesus and you go lord i am a sinner i have turned away from you i have done so many things that have fallen short of your glory I need salvation. I need forgiveness. The very moment you pray that, he wipes your soul clean. He puts those sins onto Jesus and he takes the righteousness of Christ and he puts it onto you and you are declared right with him. That's what happens the moment you put your faith exclusively in Jesus. I had somebody recently Tell me that they think that all religions are like a wheel and every hub leads to, or every spoke leads to the hub of God. And I wrote back and I said, you know what? That is exactly not what we teach. It is exclusive in Christianity. Jesus himself said it no man comes to the Father but through me. this is a promise exclusively for the christian who has put his or her faith in christ and look at what verse 28 says and we know that for those who love god all things work together it's a promise that the believers do not have that all things work together for good it is the exclusive right Of the Christian you can claim this you can pray this you can speak this to God you can share this with utter confidence with other Christians and Paul clarifies next look what he writes for those who are called according to his purpose now you ready he wouldn't write this if everyone was called according to his purpose It's naturally limiting in his vernacular. The very words that he uses limits this. Not everyone is called according to his purpose, but all things work together for good for those who are. Now, your flesh is probably doing what my flesh did. Those doubts that worm their way through your flesh. Those who love God... Well, I guess that's saying when I'm walking with him, when I'm actually loving him and not falling away from him. Okay, then I get it that all things work together for good, but that's not what he's saying. Those who love God does not mean that at this moment I am walking with him and loving obedience. It's rather another way of saying for those who have been saved. How do you know that? Well, the Apostle John makes it clear. He, he writes in 1 John 4 19, We love because he first loved us. Listen, if you love God, it is only because God first loved you. There is no one that can naturally develop a love for God, it's just not possible. If you've got a love, an agape style love, where he is precious, the most precious thing and the most precious person to you, that cannot help. That cannot come about in the natural self. In fact, your natural self is an an enemy at God. It's at enmity, at conflict, at war with God. See, our love for God is a response to his love for us. He is the great initiator in this relationship. Let me put it in a way that maybe you remember from high school. Listen, if you were ever against the wall at a dance, hoping somebody is going to call you out on the dance floor, God is the one that has called you out. If he didn't, you'd been a wallflower. You would have stayed against the wall. He is the divine initiator. He has come over and said, listen, I want to dance with you. I want a relationship with you. I love you. I want you to walk with me. And when Christ does that, when God does that, there is no one who will ultimately say No. So Paul is saying, for the Christian, God will certainly work. All things work together for good. But what is that good? What is it? It's the purpose of this promise, which is point number three. This is a promise that has a purpose. This is a promise that has a purpose. This past week, a friend of mine came in and talked with me how he and his wife recently lost $100,000 from a dishonest business partner. Another friend this week was passed over for a promotion for the third time. Another friend of mine this last week had a car wreck, totaled her car. Another one lost a loved one, died, died. Another friend has his wife right now in Philly in an ER room hoping to survive. And another one went to the emergency room with intestinal pain. I mean, that's just a sampling of people in my life this last week. So listen, I cannot say to any of them, don't worry. If one door closes, God has a better one for you to walk through. But this is the way we use Romans eight 28. You'll get your money back. Your wife's going to be fine. You'll get a better job. or you are going to get even a better car? Listen, you cannot say that with certainty. That's not what the good is that all things are working together for. There's a difference between all things work together for good. Now listen. And all things work out in this life the way we want. That's the way Romans 8.28 is popularly used. All things are going to work out to a happy conclusion here on earth. See, Romans 8.28 is not a promise that God will smooth out every rough patch of road you travel on in life. And give you a smooth sailing with clear skies and balmy waters. Joel Osteen once wrote, once preached, he actually wrote this in one of his books. Remember, when one door closes, God has another door for you to walk through, a better door. Those difficulties and challenges are merely stepping stones towards your brighter future. That's not true. That's not what this verse means. He's trying to exposit Romans eight twenty-eight. Not every bad thing in life here on earth is going to lead to something better than you've ever dreamed. God's good is better than that. It's deeper than that. It's more radical than satisfying our earthly desires and making us comfortable. A key to understanding this verse is what it says here. Are you ready? Ready? for those who are called and underline this in your bibles according to his purpose. Ephesians 1:11 this is amazing. Paul writes we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The purpose there, look up on the screen, the purpose of God controls works everything in life according to his will he bends everything submitting it to his will his purpose is his will and not too many verses later paul calls this an eternal purpose you might be wondering what exactly this purpose is and paul tells us in ephesians 1 5 in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will So, what God's purpose is, and listen, I'm going to tell you what it is His purpose, His eternal purpose, is to save people through Christ and bring them into His family forever. God wants a big family, He loves children. People from the world that have not bent their knee to God. Listen, you've got to get this in your vernacular. You've got to speak this way. They're not the children of God. An unbeliever is not a child of God. They're a child of the world. They belong to the world, not to God. God is ensuring That all things work together in order to move us to this reality. In order to move us into his family where we will dwell with him, live with him forever. And for those whom God eternally purposed to save, he's working all things together. That we would be more and more like Christ. Look what it says in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, shaped to be more like Jesus, in order that, we might be, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's tie this back into Romans 8, 28. You ready? There are experiences, all things. There are painful times that we face in this life that are nearly unbearable. We wouldn't wish them on anyone, but we find them arriving at our door and we're scratching our theological brains going, God, why? What are you doing? But we are encouraged to not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our bodies are wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. In other words, that's corinthians way of saying we're conformed to the image of christ we're being shaped to be more like him what is the good of romans eight twenty eight? it's becoming more like christ because we're going to dwell with him for eternity there is nothing now listen this is a promise this is how you hold this in your mind this is where your faith latches on to there is nothing that you will ever experience in this life that god is not using and bending to his will and making in order to prepare you for glory nothing You lose money, God has a purpose in it, to make you more like Christ and prepare you for glory. You gain a good job and you get a promotion, God's using it, He bent it to His will. He's going to give you a way to become more like Christ, prepare you to glory. If you're struggling with physical illness, perpetually or maybe intermittently, God is using it. He's going to make you more like Christ through it, He's preparing you for glory. All things means everything. That you and I ever experience. Let me explain it like this. Take five small bowls. And in each one of the following bowls. I want you to put in one of them eggs. Another one flour. Another one sugar. Another one Crisco. And then baking powder. And except for the sugar. Each one of them tastes terribly if you sample them. But when you put them together, like every kid in every neighborhood ever on the planet knows, or at least in America knows, you get them together and they create the mystery of cookies, and there's something amazing about taking what normally tastes terrible by itself, puts them together with everything else, and it produces something incredibly delicious. See, what we're about to see, friends, in this passage is a way that God takes all of these bitter, foul-tasting, individual experiences in life, and he mixes them together to produce something more incredible than you would ever possibly know. But the greatest part of the passage is next. Point number four. Final point. There is a promise that has been guaranteed. This is a promise that has been guaranteed for all time. God is preserving our faith to be eternally secure. This is a promise for the ages. Our oldest son, Matthew, is a songwriter. He's a musician. And Denise and I, and I think parents, you would understand this, Denise and I would agree that any song he writes is wonderful and beautiful. But every once in a while, now listen, every once in a while, he writes a song that is simply above The rest of them, it's superb and it's gripping and it's powerful. So if I can borrow from that parental imagery for a moment, hopefully rightfully and apply it to scriptures, I would say that here in this verse, Paul goes beyond wonderful, beyond beautiful. He goes up into the upper echelons of superb and gripping and powerful truth. He's about to present, if you will, a golden chain of five unbreakable inextricable links that's going to prove and underscore the permanency of god's relationship with his children look what it says look at this verse with me we're looking at romans 8 and i want you to start in verse 30. And those, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Henry, or Harry Ironside, he was, he's in heaven now, he's with the Lord. He said this, we have a glorious chain of five links reaching from eternity in the past to eternity in the future foreknown predestined called justified glorified every link was forged in heaven and not one could ever be broken now you're ready we're going to blow our minds here with this i'm going to guarantee you you're not going to understand this not because you're not intelligent it's so wildly far beyond anything you've ever experienced But you can get to it a little bit, and that's why I'm going to talk about it. We're sort of used to talking about eternal life having no end. It's impossible to fathom. You can get that. Listen, you can get that conceptually. You might be able to work it a little bit rationally. But there's no way you could get that experientially. There's nothing that we've ever had, nothing we've ever encountered or experienced that has eternal life. let me get you even higher into the upper echelon of superb and brilliant and amazing you ready there is an eternity past just like there's an eternity future now i want you to try to grab that psalm 93 verse 2 your throne is established from of old you are from everlasting in other words one of the versions says everlasting to everlasting you are from everlasting you look in the rear view mirror god you see eternity backwards you look forward you see eternity forward there's never been a beginning there will never be an end in god jude tells us that eternity extends back before time was created did you know the time was created to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever, past, present, future. Titus 1:2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, before time began. There was, a, there was an eternity before time. Now listen, this is really awesome. You get to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, you get the beginning of time. You go to Revelation 20 verse 15, and time is done. There is no more time. There's just eternity. There's not going to be a clock that measures 24 hours. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting back to everlasting forward. You are God. God is amazing. More than we can comprehend. And the truth of eternity past, Paul tells us, there's never been a time, now you ready? This is going to blow your mind. There's never been a time in eternity past that God did not know you, Christian brother and sister. Go a thousand years before he created the earth. Hard to do because they didn't measure time. But go a thousand years, God knew you. You go a million years, God knew you. You go a billion years before he created the earth, God saw you. God set his love on you. God knew you. He's known you for eternity. This is not a new relationship. He's always known you. This is the great rich teaching of the superb echelon of Romans 8, 29 and 30. His foreknowledge has nothing to do with our actions of faith. You know, that God knew that one day you were going to believe in him. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God's actions. This is all about God. All five of these golden links, foreknew you, predestined you, called you, justified and glorified you. Every one of them is all about what God has done. None of them are about what we have done. And Paul links God's foreknowledge specifically with those, look what he says, I'm quoting, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Notice his past tense. Took place eternity past has the aim of shaping you and I, Christian brother and sister, to be like Jesus increasingly, more and more, so that because he is the firstborn among many brothers. He's got a lot of brothers, a lot of sisters, a lot of siblings. That's us. The term firstborn in Jewish cr- culture, it was used to represent preeminence. It's not that Jesus was born in eternity. He was born into flesh, but God didn't create Jesus as son. Jesus is God. He's always existed. He's preeminent. That's what, the fir- that's what the word firstborn means. But look at verse 30. If I haven't lost you yet, look at verse 30 those whom he predestined he also called see paul continues along this chain he says that those whom god predestined he also called not the general call of matthew twenty-two fourteen. you can see it on the screen many are called but few are chosen that's not this word called See, it's when God issues an invitation to get off the wall and come dance. When God issues that invitation to know Him, let's the calling. that that Paul is talking about he's referring to the God-given ability to say yes and get out of the dance floor. So when God calls you, he not only issues the summons for you to come to him, he gives you by the power of his spirit the ability to say yes. Because when you were born in natural flesh, you didn't want God. I didn't want God. None of us wanted God. He has to do a work to get you to want him. And it's a called, respond by faith. Look what Paul writes. God has justified. He's declared them right standing with himself on the basis of the death and the resurrection of the son, Jesus. You can stand before the father because you're in Jesus, Christian brother and sister. You will never stand before him because of your own goodness. It won't gain you admittance. You can't get in to see him that way. and paul ends by saying what james denny once said which is the most daring anticipation of faith ever in the new testament those whom he has justified he has also glorified now listen i want you to see something look at your text for a second all five of those you gotta look at this i would write this down in your bibles if i were you for new, predestined called justified glorified every single one of them ...are in the past tense. They're already done. Glorified is a future event based on a past reality. It's when God will perfect you for all time in Christ. God has already guaranteed it. It's as if Paul was so sure that it would happen... ...it's already good and done. The one that God foreknew... He predestined, and he called, and he justified, and he glorified. That's why he can say, verse 31, if God is for us, who could be against us? Do you see what Romans eight twenty-eight really means? I'm going to sum it up as we get ready to close. Here's what it really means. It does not mean... That when you go through something difficult, just hang on because God's going to give you something better here on earth. Listen, that's not the way it means. That's not the intended purpose of it. What it really means is this. God has a purpose and he bends everything to it. All things are bent and submit to his will. And his purpose is to for know you and to predestine you and to call you and to justify you and to glorify you so he uses every single thing that we ever experience as a way to shape you more like jesus and prepare you more for glory that's every single thing you and i experience it all gets caught up in god's sovereign net of his purpose So when you've got somebody in the hospital and they don't understand what's happening, you can at least tell them this, God knows, he has a purpose, he knew you in eternity past if you're a Christian, he knew you in eternity past, he predestined you to be like Jesus so he's using this thing, this reason you're in the hospital, he's using this to help you become more like Christ and I want to be here and be part of the journey for you. Because you know what? He's calling you to glory. And that glory is finally going to be you're perfectly like Christ. And you will never suffer again. He's preparing you for glory. Whatever good thing happened to you, brother and sister, this past week, listen, it was designed to give you a foretaste of eternal blessing. It was designed to give you a heart of increased gratitude to God. But the difficulties that you experienced this last week, listen, he's using them. He's got a plan for them. It's called his purpose. He's shaping you to be more like Christ. Yield to it. Quit fighting against him. Quit kicking against the goads. Let him do his work when he wants to bring you out of that trial. You will come out and you'll come out more like Jesus because he's preparing you. For glory where you'll be with him and his family forever and again it's no wonder that paul could say in verse 31 what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us you are secure in jesus he will not let you go Your faith will endure because of the power of God. Let's help each other find his purpose in everything that happens. Amen.